Hi, everyone. Welcome to Forgotten Feminists. It's been quite a while. I've missed you all. Um, today, we have an incredibly special guest. We have with us Anya. I've never before had somebody who grew up under uh, you know, the Soviet regime. So I'm very curious to talk about the similarities and differences between our two upbringings under different uh, tyranny or different totalitarian regimes. So Anya, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I feel very privileged to meet you guys. Oh, you're so sweet. So let's start off with um, please giving us just a background about what it's like to grow up in, in Soviet Russia. So I'd like actually to give you a little preview of what Soviet Russia was, because in the West, uh, where I live about 30 plus years, I found that people have very vague idea of what USSR was. So I'll give you a five minutes lecture, which was, believe me, hard for me to distill my hatred to just five minutes. Uh, but uh, so this USSR, United, whatever, English version of Soviet, Soviet republics, Republic. right, um, Republic, right, started as a coup in 2017 when Communist Party, then called Bolsheviks, took over uh, the power from the newly formed Russian Republic after the Tsar um, gave up his power. Immediately it started the civil war that took about 10 million lives and the newly formed Red Army, as they called it at the time, uh, fought uh, long, hour, long years from 17 to 22nd with what they called White Army, which was Tsarist and Democratic forces plus uh, Western armies as well. And Red Army won, and the power of Bolsheviks uh, took for many, many painful years. Uh, Joseph Stalin uh, became the secretary of the Communist Party and uh, ruled the Soviet Union until 1953 when he died alone in his urine because everybody was afraid to uh, attend. And uh, how many millions of lives were destroyed by Stalin's terror regime is unknown for now. It's very hard to get to the numbers, uh, political prisoners, just people who died, the hunger, uh, the gulag, the infamous prison system. It, it goes on and on and on. He's moving different nationalities like Tatars from Crimea that you hear on the news uh, to, he was moving people, or his collectivization when he moved to the collective farming, just transforming people like cattle in the trains and dumping them in the area which didn't have even housing or anything, just dump them in the field, uh, hoping or not caring whether they will survive. So those numbers of uh, lives are not accounted for. Uh, and during the Civil War, they organized, they uh, for the first time created the uh, Cheka, which is then became KGB, now is FSB. So after 1953, after his death, the terror subsided, but the regime remained, and this is the Russia that I know. Mm. Uh, so uh, 
just two points I want to make, and then I'll talk about how it felt and what it, what it was like for somebody to live under that regime, which was comparatively speaking benign because we were not rounded up uh, to work in Siberia or to die. Um, so economically, it was all fueled by, by philosophies and theories of the left. Uh, so anti-religion, so it was secular society. Our ideology was communism. But believe me, it was exactly the same as your religion. We had God. We had multiple gods. We had Lenin, Stalin, Marx. These were our gods. You can't uh, say anything that they said anything wrong. Um, we had, as you know, probably, that Lenin, Lenin's body still now is a mausoleum on a red square in, in Kremlin, in, in uh, sorry, in Moscow. Uh, but economically, it was pure socialism, nationalized means of production. Uh, so they say people own everything. But reality is government owns everything. They owned land, they owned every uh, factory, every coffee shop, every repair shop. It's something so alien to practically every society, probably except for North Korea today, because even in a religion oppression, you still have your private shops. Like you, you go to a cobbler to fix your shoes, it's the cobbler's shop. Not in the Soviet Union. Government owns everything. And government owns you, really, truly. Politically, as it was claimed, it was dictatorship of the proletariat. In reality, dictatorship of the government. Now, what the features of societies that we want to look at, like rule of law, didn't exist. It's a lawless society. Government is always right. Freedom of speech did not exist. You're allowed to say only what you're allowed to say. And believe me, the persecution was from shaming to expelling to firing to imprisonment. Elections, sham, all through. We don't have time. I have a favorite story of my first election, first and last. I never participated again, even though my vote was always counted every year. Um, I'll, if we have time, I'll tell you, you will, you will just laugh your heads off. Freedom of movement, zero. You cannot go and find an apartment and live in it. You have to be assigned a room or some space to live by the authorities. But they will not assign it to you just out of nowhere. You have to get what we call prapiska. In other words, you're basically, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, you just assign the place where you live and you live there. And it's even worse to the farmers because they literally, during this time, they didn't even have passports, so they couldn't move anywhere. You're almost in prison. You're almost a slave very close to this uh, condition. Indoctrination, just like you guys, they indoctrinate and indoctrinate. It starts in the kindergarten. Uh, my daughter was born at the tail end of the Soviet regime. And I, I sent her to the uh, kindergarten and she came home, like literally in the first month telling me, mom, I know who was the best person in the world. I said, oh, who was that? And she goes, Lenin, did, um, Grandpa Lenin. Mm. 
to me, and I, by that time I was like so anti-Soviet. And I was just struck. This is my child and she's already poisoned. And that kind of settled me into I'm moving no matter what. I'm leaving this, this place. I'm not going to let her go through years and years of indoctrination and then years and years of cleaning her head. Um, then Ron, I, I talked about Ron ideas and it continues through your entire life. And uh, one more point I want to make is that occupants, uh, the Russian country, Tsarist Russia was an empire that occupied other nations with different languages, different religions, different cultures, just by force. Some of those alliances were more of a alliances of convenience because small countries wanted to be protected by big Russia. And the Russian Tsarist regime always had uh, policies of Russification of those nations, where if you want to conduct business or have government positions, you have to speak Russian, so on and so forth. USSR continued that. So when people in the States, for example, hear Soviet Republic, they envision something like American states. But no, these are occupied national territories whose cultures and languages are being wiped out. And some of those territories were occupied relatively recently, like Baltic republics in the late 30s, early 40s, or Western Ukraine in an alliance with Hitler in the late 30s, so on and so forth. So that's the criminal enterprise that is still spreading its poison today that I'm coming from that made me, a precious child, think that this was the best country in the world that we're the best people, that everybody else is the enemy, that uh, just just think about how similar it is to what you grew up with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just thought that it would be A, good for our souls to team up and uh, vent and share, and B, for us to know we're in it together, even though our oppressors want us to look at each other as the other. So that's my passionate introduction. Oh, that's beautiful, <laughs> Anya. I'm really, really struck, as you said, I'm really, really struck by the similarities. And what's jarring to me is how fragile we are as human beings, how easy it is to control us is what I want to say. Unbelievable. You know? Like I'm talking about these 50 Muslim majority countries. Most people are illiterate, you know, the same mm -hmm. cannot be said for Russia, you know, like it's, it's a different, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like we as human beings are so, yeah, just, just so susceptible to being, yeah. um, controlled like it feels like our it's so easy to control our minds and the reason why that scares me so much of course is because we can kind of see it happening around us today but people yeah. are full of such arrogance such you know hubris where they feel that this can't happen to us or this can't happen to me or that they are different than we are and it's you know um it's eye-opening, like terrifyingly eye-opening to realize that different parts of the world, different ideologies, 
but they can still really make you believe that the most vicious, atrocious, horrible, tyrannical system that you can actually believe this is the best place on earth. I yeah. am so lucky to be born here. I am yeah. so lucky to be a part of this community. Like it's, it's, it's just. It's oh. horrifying. I agree. And believe me, I spent my life thinking about those things because you're forced if, if you're not, because your thought process becomes yours because at some point you understand that you've been told doesn't look like it was truth. And once you stand, put your foot on that path, it may take long, it may take short, but there is no walking back. You keep thinking and you keep uncovering the truth. So I spent my lifetime thinking about those issues and the more I think about it, and it kind of comes down to some of the issues you raised in our exchanges, Yasmin, left versus right and religion versus secular societies, oppression of this kind, oppression of that kind. And I'm thinking it all comes down to me too. We are human beings. There is no other. We are human beings. You don't take somebody else's life. You do not impose your way of thinking on somebody else other than those core principles. And those core principles come out in every society in the human history. People try to say, hey, we should not kill each other. We should recognize our shared world and shared humanity in each other. We everything else is less important, and they are trying to manipulate us and tell us that somebody else, that something else is more important. No, yeah. if you had this core belief that you don't take somebody's life just because you think that person is wrong, which has happened during the Russian coup and then what they call revolution, they were just killing people, killing people because they were enemy. And this is kind of what I want to touch on is this other, mm -hmm. this enemy, because quite often in the history of Jewish people, you are the black sheep. You are the one who is chosen by different societies, different communities, different civilizations over the ages as the other. Now, I want to talk a little bit about um, specifically being Jewish and growing up under this regime. I know that um, one woman that I know who grew up same under Soviet Russia, she they used to have to practice Christianity secretly and celebrate Christmas secretly. Um, there are so many holidays with <laughs> in the Jewish faith. How were you able to do that? Did you have to do that? What was it like as a Jewish girl growing up under Soviet Russia? You know, it's the weirdest thing. It's hard to explain. So first of all. Hi, Tricia. So first of all, uh, it's a secular society, USSR. Every religion is oppressed. Nobody is openly practicing any religion. The Jewish people in the beginning during the revolution joined the revolution in big numbers because in Russian, in Tsarist Russia, they were assigned to the little shtetls, uh, the Jewish ghettos had no rights, couldn't get education. So they were very happy to join the revolution because it was giving them the freedom to movement, freedom of education, and so on and so forth. 
And then anti-Semitism began. So for example, in my parents' generation, they all switched their, so my, I read recently uh, a little notes that my mom took, who is 99 today, not today, but right now, about her childhood. And in her childhood, her grandparents were practicing Judaism, going to the synagogue. Um, My father had, um, I forgot the term, uh, all of a sudden, uh, one of the religious cantor. He had a cantor in his family who was performing ceremonies in the synagogue. But my parents' family, they all switched their Jewish names, Jewish sounding names to Russian sounding names. For example, my mom is Rebecca, but she became Rita to hide her Jewishness. My grandfather was Judah, if you say it in English version, uh, uh, basically Eud, and he became Yuli. Julie, everybody hidden their names. I have a picture of my mom's uh, group of friends when she was young, and on the other side were written all the Jewish names of theirs, uh, but they had Russian sounding names. So there was no religion, and believe me, I don't miss it. I'm an atheist by upbringing and by conviction, but Religion also include the cultural components. So the only cultural component that was left to us as Jews was for some of us who spoke Yiddish, Yiddish, uh, which is Jewish adapted language, which my parents spoke uh, in front of us, me and my sister, if they wanted us not to understand what they were saying, which is, ah. Uh, and uh, food. So accents and food. So we had Jewish food, which I loved, of course. My dad would go, the synagogue was practically not practicing, but dad would go there every Passover and bring a huge pack of matzah. Mm -hmm. So things like that. Also, we knew that we were Jews because of Mm anti-Semitism. That's what brought Jewishness into us because basically there was nothing else. But in Soviet Russia, nationality is not equal citizenship, it's ethnicity. And your ethnicity was written in every questionnaire. And just think about for a second, in school, when they gave us a form or questionnaire to fill in, and we usually joke the number five, because usually the question your ethnicity was number five on a questionnaire, And when I wrote Jewish, I covered with my hand because I was, I didn't want people to know, kids to know that I'm Jewish because it was embarrassing. And the Jewish, Jew was a bad word. So they would say, hey, your bicycle is, you have a Jewish bicycle, meaning your bicycle is weird or bad. That's, that's the, that's the mixture of, uh, you know, the Jewishness that I grew up with. But the older I became, the more self-aware I became. I remember, by the way, when I was a kid, I all of a sudden I realized we must be Jewish, just judging by some conversations. You know, parents discuss so-and-so didn't get the job because she is Jewish, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and 
parents talking in Yiddish. And I felt so proud that I figured something out. I said, guys, are we Jewish or something? And they said, and they looked at each other like, oh, that's scary. And they said, well, yeah, I, I remember it by this day. It was like a dirty secret is out. Mm. Um, but then I became proud of it. Um, I had an opportunity to read up on that. All my friends were Jewish because there's the whole aspect of being Jewish and being prosecuted, not prosecuted, oppressed, basically. Um, you want to discuss it with your friends and you could only discuss it with Jewish friends. Mm -hmm. So you became surrounded by people like you. So we became marginalized group of people, which also helps you to look at the society from outside and clear your mind that way. Um, so that's basically the kind of high points of what it meant, what it felt like, rather. Yeah. So another uh, another parallel between our two lives, the anti-Semitism. One of my friends, Max, was saying that when we were we were talking about the different things that Muslims say about Jewish people, because I was trying to explain that the anti-Semitism is not even considered anti-Semitism. It's just like air or water. Like it's just part of discussion, yeah. like it's normal. And he said, yeah, in Russia, we say if the water doesn't flow from the taps, it's because of the Jews. Like everything is the Jews' fault. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, so you you touched on, on, on one thing there right at the end of, uh, of your, your point where you talked about um, just being able to see the the world from the outside, see your society from the outside. So being like an objective observer can you talk to us a little bit about, I know there wasn't probably one, it was probably many, but maybe one situation that you can remember that made you for the first time or so realize like, this is a sham. Like I, like for me, it felt like I was in Truman's show. I don't know if you remember yeah. that movie Truman show. Like yeah. I just had this moment, like, is anything real? Like I, I, I have been duped mm -hmm. for my whole life. Um, can you tell us about that moment for you? If you don't mind, I'll mention a couple of you. I don't mind at all. No. Thank please. you. My, so I have like moments of self-awareness when I reflect back. Oh, that was like, aha. But there were many. Yeah. The first was that I remember when I was 17, uh, my cousin and I were discussing um, the life and, you know, like teenagers do. And we concluded we live in a horrible, in a very bad country, because by that time we already knew everybody lies. Nothing is what they say. Uh, you just can't trust anything. So you're very cynical, but you don't have yet anything positive to hang your soul on and your yeah. thinking on. So you're just completely demotivated and turned internal because everything is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And we concluded it's a shitty place, but it's the best place on earth. Because mm -hmm. you had no comparison. And when I look back and I am 17 is the age of hopes and aspirations. And I feel so sorry for my poor self to have this kind of view of the world. It's a horrible place, 
but it's the best place in the world. And then there were kind of a lot of thinking, debates with my friends, and there was a lot of kind of transitioning, transitioning, transitioning. And then we had a debate about different economic conditions and this and that, and a friend of mine invited his dad and said, Dad, help us sort through this. And he said, well, guys, think about this. No, you know what? I will not talk about it. It will require a history lesson. <laughs> Let me, <laughs> we don't have time for that. Sorry. Let me move forward. I had um, to pass an exam. We had the subject, political economy. It's economical systems looked at through the prism of political views. And we had a political economy of capitalism and political economy of socialism, okay? So political economy, and and typically this kind of ideological subjects, we faked, we didn't study, you know, the bullshit you can put on paper and pass. But in that case, the uh, professor really hated me. I knew I had to know, so I studied. So political economy of capitalism explains capitalist hires the workers. Workers create additional product by, through their work. Capitalist sells the product, gets the profit, basically additional product created by the workers, and pocket it is, which is exploitation of the workers. Well, first of all, it didn't make huge sense to me because I'm like, yeah, but he created the business. He thought of it. He hired people, so he has to get paid for that for sure. I don't know whether it's all fair or not, but kind of in principle, not necessarily exploitation, and people get paid for their work. So I'm like, okay, so that's one. And then explanation of political economy of socialism, where the means of production are nationalized, which is where I lived. And they explained this. Government sets up the business, the plant. The workers work there and graced by the salaries, which believe me, were meager, and create, oh, sorry. So in capitalist society, uh, workers create additional uh, costs, uh, additional values, value. In socialist, additional product. Ah, okay. Government take that additional product, collects, sells it, collects money, and distributes this money to people in a form of free education, free health system, all of which sucks. And I'm reading this, I'm like, what? The process of creating products is the same. Additional product or additional value or whatever is the same. So somebody pay your money directly. Somebody pays your money indirectly. It's not at all a question. It's the same thing. It's all a question of how it all owned, distributed, processed, and by that time, I already knew that the rest of the world is not worse, that the free world is better, the lives are better. And that was a watershed moment for me 
that gave me, first of all, intellectually, the whole thing collapsed. Whether I realized it or not, somewhere in me, I thought there are some foundations, there are some wisdom, there are some good intentions, there is something there. And in that moment of intellectual understanding of the stupidity of their claims, it's not necessarily kind of canceled it for me for the rest of my life, but it was like, okay, I'm going to question everything now. Mm. Now, nothing goes into my head unquestioned, unlooked, unchallenged. This is it. And second moment of similar, maybe more of an emotional watershed moment for me was when I read Dr. Zhivago by, um, help me, Pasternak. <laughs> Dr. Zhivago, if you didn't see a movie or read a book, it tells you the story of a in, in, what we call intelligentsia, so educated class, privileged class of Tsarist times, who's caught in the middle of the Soviet destruction of life. And why it was a watershed moment for me, because, you know, I read so many Soviet books. I was reading really a lot when I was growing up. And then one of the Soviet narratives was proletariat, the workers and farmers are the people. And so in a Soviet literature, they're painted as heroes, strong characters, strong mor morals, characters of integrity. They know their enemy, which is bourgeois, capitalist, intelligentsia, people of books, the knowledge, the in other words, intellectual elite that may sway away the controlled public, they are always painted as weak, no character, no principles. They're constantly fumbling. And in Dr. Zhivago, I saw real people, the people of integrity, of love, of knowledge, of compassion, but also flawed, just real people. And the whole Soviet literature, just all of it, died. And that one night, it was, by the way, a forbidden book. So I, I had it from what we call summer's death. It means that somebody risked their lives making a copy of a book that they probably uh, got from the Westerner. And I was given it for the night. So I read that book in one night. And it was the moment, like almost physical, it gives me chills right now. Everything I read until then from Soviet authors died on that night. I understood. I am so programmed. Mm. I am so bullshitted. I'm just, I am a child. I have to start from the beginning and relearn. So these were like one intellectual and one from literature, emotional, and like left brain, right brainy, all yeah. of it together. Yeah. Yeah. These were that I remember as life altering. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. 
Um, when you were talking about in school and learning about, uh, you know, capitalism versus socialism and all that, and it kind of reminded me of how a lot of us that have left, denounced Islam or even denounced Christianity did so because we read the Quran or because we read the Bible. So it's like mm -hmm. our, their books tell on themselves. <laughs> the truth is there if people just bother to read it. Mm -hmm. That you know, that's the that's the, the core message is is flawed. Yeah. Um, so I have so many questions for you, but I'm I'm going to uh, one thing. One of the main reasons why we wanted to meet was because we were both really interested in the fact that I came from such an incredibly conservative right wing ideology, and you came from such a left-wing ideology of course we've already touched on so many of the similarities but both of us did the thing where we ran to the opposite side because we wanted to get as far away as possible so of course I ran to the left and you ran to the right and now we both find ourselves comfortably moderately in the middle not wanting to be part of either one of those two camps can you tell us a little bit of I've talked at length about the things that made me want to, you know, sort of disillusioned with the left. What were some parts that made you disillusioned with the right? Uh, first of all, uh, I, I want to say that I'm as upset with the left as you are. Mm -hmm. I'm upset with both extremes to my core. Um, and especially when it comes to the, uh, your fight and your, um, stand for the right of women in Muslim societies, the left, the, the left position that they feel compelled to defend religions to their dying breath even facing incredible oppressions justified by the religion, not just oppression that happens to be in a Muslim country, justified by the religion. Really terrible, terrible. But the right, and I can only speak for American right, my disillusion with American. First of all, I placed myself in the center when I arrived to America to begin with, because I had this idiosyncrasy with being a member of a party. You know, I come from the country of a single party, belonging to a party, towing the party line, the loyalty to the party yep. made me throw up. But I knew I am leaning towards right. I am pro-capitalism. You can't even by now, you can't convince me against capitalism, capitalism that gave us prosperity and, and so on and so forth. But also, if you think about liberalism, to me, liberalism, the, the enlightenment and liberalism, the individual freedom, the rights of the individual, as opposed to me being part of the right of the state, which is the only right that exists, and you're nobody, and you're supposed to do only whatever states need, of course, I, I am. I am. I, I want a smaller, more efficient government. Uh, so all those kind of early, early 
conservatism, early 20th century, I should say, maybe mid, mid 20th century, I'm definitely philosophically, intellectually leaning towards then and now. And so my disillusionment with American rights started when I saw encroachment on those things. I thought that true American conservatism should be uh, the famous sayings like, I will, I passionately disagree with you, but I will defend your right to say what you think till your dying breath. That's what I believe in. I want to have open debates. No, no thoughts should be prohibited. And I've noticed that American right starts encroaching on those. I remember there was a moment when American government, Congress was deciding if, if a particular woman, and it was George Bush's government, uh, if her life support should be taken from her by Congress, a particular woman, a person. Um, forgive me if I offend you with abortion rights, but abortion rights to me uh, not a government business in principle. There are mm -hmm. all sorts of details that must be sorted out for sure, but in principle, not government's business. So those kinds of things I started noticing in the right, and I started noticing that um, there's no such strong commitment to what I really loved about American right and what I read about American right in in practice. I was not, however, very politically uh, knowledgeable or active or even informed, even though it was my pride to vote in every single election um, and be relatively educated. But if you think about, I came to the United States in 1990, my English was rudimentary. I was a single mother, had to put food on, on the table. So I was, it took me years to begin understanding the language, the culture, the political issues. By the time I became more of an American in that sense, the American right was already teaming up with radical religion, radical Christians. And by 2016, Trump, took American right over. And this is, to me, a clear tyranny that this group of people is proposing to the United States. And to my horror, the propaganda machine is working very actively. And to my horror, uh, like 10 years ago, you would ask me, I said, yeah, this whole bullshit that took over Russia, pragmatic, educated, strong, conservative Americans, you can't fool them. You can fool a small group of people, but come on, you can't fool them. Well, turns out you can. Yeah. So I yeah. don't want to minimize the uh, danger from the left. No, because it's the same thing. Exactly. Everything you yeah. described is also can be said about the left. The same Absolutely. Thing about the, the propaganda machine, the same thing about this belief that, oh, no, these people are too educated. The, these people are mm -hmm. too politically aware. These people have, you know, convictions and values and integrity. No, no. <laughs> it makes you start to realize yeah. that 
No, we're all just, you know, just like I said earlier on, where it's so easy to control us. So d- depending yeah. on what the flavor of the month is, you know, is exactly. it the, the socialist ideology from Soviet Russia? Is it Sharia from the Islamic countries? Is it, you know, the progressive left now in America? Is it the MAGA in America? There, it's whatever all the it same. is. It's all the, the same. Playbook, the playbook is the same. Yeah, politically, I, religiously, like with cults, all of it. They all follow the same place. The, it's the other, and it's the fear. Yeah, yeah, the fear. And, and it's the and the new thing that showed up, and I think Putin was the first one who introduced this, is there is no truth. You can mm. never know what happened. You will never know. And everybody lies and everybody is corrupt and everybody is shit and there is nothing to believe in. So you might as well go with me. Mm. And in this, this whole, and Yasmin, I know you brought up and probably will bring up in a minute the whole new environment, the digital environment, the internet, the civil society, uh, social media, all that helps to spread those things so quickly. And, yeah. um, so I, I believe strongly, and I don't know what you guys think, that we're in the environment when extreme left and extreme right are different flavors of the same. Completely and, agree. and we are here, and I am struggling to find the word for who we are. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily centrist, because within this block of us, mm-hmm. we may subscribe to different kinds of in, in philosophical, economical, political, um, all sorts of different beliefs and principles. And But what unites us that we're willing to come to the table and discuss those views respectfully, um, with Honestly. good intentions, mm-hmm. and with all the principles we talked about that we hoped to find <laughs> you homes we found out for ourselves mm-hmm. whether physically or intellectually and I, I don't think we have yet reached the moment when we we all of us around the world who are facing those struggles can unite under the banner we're not centrist no we're something there's... else we're not yeah. extreme yes but there are no thinkers who unite us. There are no intellectuals who say, okay, this is the ideology. This is the philosophical platform. This is who we are. And I think that's our problem. We can't find, we can't not unite under this is who we are. We don't have to be afraid of each other. We don't have to fight each other. We have to work with each other. And we can yell at each other if we disagree, but we part friends. Mm. So what you're saying is is hitting me right in the heart because I have an organization called Free Hearts, Free Minds. And that organization focuses on two groups of people. Number one, people who have denounced Islam in Muslim majority countries, so ex-Muslims. And number two, LGBT people living in those Muslim majority countries because both of those groups of people are persecuted and or executed. Now, when I go around trying to get funding or support for my organization. I finally had one person, it was the executive director of the Ion Hersieli Foundation. He was finally honest to me and he said, Yasmin, listen, nobody funds the middle. Mm. 
He said, your problem is one side you're supporting Islamophobes and the other side you're supporting gays. So mm-hmm. nobody wants to support you. You're not, you're not going to get funding from anybody. <laughs> you know, it was such a nihilistic, sad, dark, disheartening thing to hear. But, you know, it's not obviously not going to make me stop. I'm still continuing puttering around with my less than $1,000 a month that I get on Patreon. You know, we're still making it happen. We're still doing amazing stuff. I have phenomenal people working with me. You know, I'm not the kind of person that takes no for an answer. I, t- I When somebody Good. says no to me, I say, fuck you. And then I do it myself. Same thing I did with my book. I just That's why we love you. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> fine. I don't need any of you. I'll do it myself. Um, but exactly what you're saying is totally correct. The two extremes are solid. It's just like Muslims. It's just like Islam. It's just that same thing. Like when you leave the cult, you are not just leaving. This is why in my book, I describe it like a school of fish. You're not just leaving the, the thoughts and the community and the friends and the family and whatever, but you're leaving this huge web of support. Yes. You know, like you, you always have somebody, whether it is you want to get a mortgage or whether you want to get your car fixed or whether, you know, whatever there, there's always like this, it's a tight knit community where everybody supports everybody, of course, at a very high cost. Yes. that you have to be willing to pay that cost. Um, but yeah, these cults, they support each other like crazy. Yes. And then we're in the middle here and we don't have anything that's really um, unifying us because like you mentioned so many times, the thing that unifies people more than anything is hate. And yes. they are both united in hate for the other And Mm -hmm. we are not willing to play that extremist game and we're not willing to hate another. And so here we are. Um, I'm very conscious of the time because like I mentioned, I want to finish on time to get to this uh, Iran protest, but I'm going to ask you one more question before I open it up to everybody. If we have to go a little long, we have to go a little long, but I really wanted to ask you this. Um, We've kind of touched on this a little bit, you know, with politicians and media and propaganda and, and people not knowing what to believe, you know, they hear this, they hear that, what's the truth. Mm -hmm. I think COVID really exacerbated that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So many different narratives and then contradicting themselves and blah, blah, blah. Um, And so we're so suspicious now. We're very, um, we're not willing to believe our governments and our medias and everything the, the way we used to before. So I just wanted to get your take. I know that obviously, you know, you haven't been in Russia for a very long time, but just just wanted to get an idea from you on the, um, you know, a lot of people are attributing a lot of intentions to to both Putin and Zelensky, and I'm and just the current situation in, in Ukraine. I know this is a very big question for just a couple of minutes, but what what are your thoughts? How are you seeing this situation? Um, it's a black and white situation, I think. Uh, The Ukraine is a sovereign country. Okay. Um, Legally and uh, by fact, Russia was at subjugating Ukraine for most of its existence. The Western Ukraine was taken by the USSR in agreement with Hitler in 1939, and Ukraine was fighting for its uh, self, um, 
what's the word, uh, becoming its own country and culture for about a hundred plus years, if not all its history. They have a different language. Uh, they have, it, it's, it's different people, even though very, very close um, to Russian people. And I forgot the year, it probably was 1991 or 1992, when the former Soviet Republic became a sovereign country, which was in, uh, established by a signed agreement, international agreement between Russia, Russian President Boris Yeltsin, uh, America, UK, there was an agreement written where sovereign borders of Ukraine were guaranteed in exchange for Ukraine giving up nuclear weapons that it had at the time on its territory. So Ukraine is a sovereign nation, just like any country on earth today. And uh, Russia attacked Ukraine in 2014. With a sham referendum, they took Crimea under Russia completely. And they put their um, troops in some of the areas of eastern Ukraine, known as Lugansk and Donetsk, uh, then in 2014. But the international community got involved, the fighting stopped, the open fighting stopped, and ever since they've been debating, negotiating what to do with those areas. And uh, in February of 2022, Russia made an all-frontal attack on Ukraine entered their sovereign territory, committing atrocities against humanity, killing people, killing civilians, raping them, killing them with a shot in the back of their skull, rummaging their houses, uh, bombing the civilian structures. And Ukrainian people are defending their country. They want independence. They want to be their own. They don't want anything from Russia other than to leave their land. Mm -hmm. To me, also, uh, let's, uh, there, there, it's a very complex issue in terms of what is driving Putin, what he is announcing, what people try to read his mind. I, I'm not going to talk about motivations. I'm just talking about the facts of the matter. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree with you, Anya. I just... Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I wasn't sure what you would say in response to that because we're hearing some crazy talk from the American right, honest to God, like it's just yes. shocking yes. to me. Um, so that's probably another point of uh, disillusionment over there, I would assume. Yes, for sure. So, thank you. Thank you so much for so succinctly giving us the, the history of the United States Socialist Republic and this uh, current... Uh, horrific war that's going on right now um, between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, you're really good at, uh, at concisely giving us your, your thoughts. Thank you. Um, so I want to open it up to everybody here now um, while you guys are considering if you have any questions for, um, oh, we already have a couple of hands popping up. I was going to read the comments to you, but let's go with Ira because uh, that was the first hand that went up. Okay, hi, thanks. Hi. Uh, thanks, Anya. <laughs> My grandfather's from Ukraine and uh, oh, wow. we, we have roots there. Uh, thank you for what you had to say. 
Anytime. Uh, I left the left uh, when I was a teenager. That's half a century ago. Because uh, mm. I got sick of deceiving people and talking down to people and slandering them in my heart. Right. If they said something that wasn't progressive, the immediate way my mind was trained to go was to slander them. Oh, they're a racist. Oh, they're a this. Oh, they're a that. Right. Uh, oh, that's a code word for racism if you are concerned about crime. Then I got mugged one day and realized it's something real. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry to say one has to choose usually in politics. And I think usually the right is less dangerous than the left. But unfortunately, we've got a real danger from both at this point. Yeah, not today. Uh, mm -hmm. The left has been chronic and cumulative, and it's not just authoritarian, it's totalitarian. Yeah. It's so-called critical theory of the Marxism-Leninism of my generation, which is not a social democratic Marxism. This is a neo-communist mm -hmm. uh, Marxism. So, uh, and, and in terms of Ukraine, for example, in normal conditions, the left would be defending Ukraine and defending Russia, and a lot of it is. Uh, the so-called peace movement is. Uh, but because Putin is associated with Trump, everything gets you know, scrambled in, in a crazy I, salad. Sorry, and, I, I have to yeah. plug in, not necessarily because he is associated with yeah. Trump, but because it's the same ideology. There's a relation. Yeah, he's a paleoconservative, and so mm -hmm. is Trump uh, among the various brands of conservatism. That is their brand. Uh, Putin has gone over to counter-revolution and quasi-fascism, uh, which Trump hasn't yet done, but he's gone pretty far uh, in terms of not respecting elections. And we will see in Brazil if the same thing happens in a few days. Uh, so this is a very worrisome situation. Uh, and uh, in normal conditions, the right wing would be strongly supporting Ukraine. And the bulk of it is, and the bulk of the criticism of Biden for not helping Ukraine enough comes from the right. Uh, but uh, it's craziness on both sides now. And here we are. So thank you for what you said. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Nichivo. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to quickly say before we move on to Erkan that similar crazy stuff is happening with Iran as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But we support what's going on in Iran with all yeah. our hearts. We, we do. We all do, of course. But I mean, this this weird thing that you're seeing on the left with them being supportive of the Islamic regime. I know. Yeah. And trying to say like, oh, we need to, you know, take the sanctions away. And, and it's just madness. It's just mad. Mm -hmm. And then it's and then you've got people on the left. that Anyway, but it's the same sort of thing that Ira was was talking about. And it's because they're seeing everything from the American politics lens instead of looking at things, you know, like what's happening in that country. What is right? What is wrong? Um, what is up? What is down? OK, Air Kent, sorry. Okay, uh, thanks. Uh, thank you, Anya, for a really fascinating discussion. Um, and I, I, I was reading before I left the UK, I read, um, I don't know if you've read it, Constantine Kissin's book, um, uh, An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West. Have you read that book? No. He's also, so he's also um, Jewish Russian descent. Yeah, he, I know of him. Mm -hmm. We know of him, yeah. He arrived in the UK and he wrote this, it was a really awesome book. He wrote this book, um, uh, An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, I was struck by something, the similarity, uh, something you just said in your talk. He said, in a situation where um, when there is no truth, there are also no lies. Mm. You know, it's kind of a profound thing to say. And mm-hmm. that's this confusion that we are all kind of caught up in at the moment, isn't it, I think? Um, yeah, what well, you said, something along those lines. You know, when, when there is no truth, there are also no lies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing is, I wonder what you think about... Um, uh, one other thing I was going to say is, I wonder, you know, when you hear... What, one point of comparison that I always think about when it comes to say something like socialism and Islam is you get this kind of no true Scotsman fallacy going on right people say oh well we've never really seen um true Marxism right and people say and people say oh uh, Islam that's not really that's not, not the really true Islam, Islam. Yeah, that's not I, oh my God, this is so profound. Yes, and I wonder, and I wonder what you what do you say to those people? You know, when you hear people say that. Oh gosh, I don't know what to say, honestly, because but this is so true. You know, I I always I feel lost when I face something like that. But I I thought I found one little trick recently. Like because I follow Yasmin, I on Twitter I do come across a lot of topical you know exchanges and there was one where a lefty uh not from us but i think maybe from uk um who was defending islam and somebody criticizing the inability to take off your job that you're going to be punished after taking off your job because of islam and so she jumps into defending oh it's not the islam it's it's the like uh the defense on the right here in america it's not guns don't kill people people kill people right Mm. so it's not the religion it's the clerics who hijacked islam and i'm like where do i begin and i said but that's true about everything everything that people do people do not religion not guns not not anything that's what people do to each other and i said but regardless of religion wouldn't you agree and defend her right to take off her job and not being punished could we agree on that we don't have to defend or criticize islam can we simply agree this is wrong and if you're using something to defend it your defense must be wrong too because I know this is wrong. Yeah. I don't know. It's that it's the simple it's a simple kind of denialism. It's like just as soon as as soon as I think they know the game is up, right? They know that they've yeah. lost the argument. And so the next thing they do is just deny, 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 deny. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, the <laughs> the yeah, and, 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 and yeah, and we know what love does with people like Sam Harris or Bill Maher. God forbid they will criticize, and Sam, Sam always says, am I not allowed to criticize ideas? Is religion is not a set of ideas? And God forbid you criticize Islamic ideas. You're Islamophobe, you're, and Yasmin is Islamophobe, Ayan is Islamophobe, are you kidding me? Yeah, but yeah. we are, we are Islamophobes. We're not, yeah. it's not a, but, it, but, but it, the word Islamophobia is a lie because it is a very rational fear. 
this is a yeah. this is a cult an ideology a religion that wants us dead and we're right. supposed to in response to a group saying we want you dead our response is supposed to be i know what what well, we're not is, even allowed is... to respond to people who yeah. want us dead yeah but, this is but a classic the... tactic a classic tactic of co-opting the language like um of, yeah you know absolutely they took the, all the words yeah yeah especially the left they hijacked the language absolutely yeah, and Ilkhan, you were so right. This is an argument that I hear all the time about defending socialism. Well, Soviet Union, those who would agree the Soviet Union was a, it, it's like the biggest criminal enterprise, believe me. Uh, they didn't do things right. And I say, no, they did. Just mm. see what they did based on their words. They did things right. It's just the wrong things. Well said, well said. Yeah, that's like when they, Saudi Arabia is following Sharia law, Iran <coughs> is following Sharia law. These are Islamic law. And then they say, but that's not real Islam. And then when you look at the prophet Muhammad and how he lived, it was like not too far from ISIS. And they say, oh, but that's not true Islam. So even the inventor of the religion didn't follow the Islam truth. So who knows right. what, what's right. true Islam? Well, to, so to you're absolutely you correct. You. They are following yeah, it correctly. But it is not correct. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Back to Harris. You mentioned Sam Harris. He says, um, far from these people not practicing the true Islam, they yeah. really understand yeah. Islam. They're yeah. the ones who yeah. really understand it. The leader of ISIS yeah. had a PhD in Islamic theology. Yeah. And I always thought that fanatical wings of every religion the truest devotees to the truest word. Everybody else, uh, wink, wink, nod, nod, deviating from it. Those who are saying, kill the Jews, are reading the book. Those who say, kill infidels, whatever infidels happen to be, are reading it from the book. They are the fanatics, the orthodox, they are the most true to their religion, in my view. Though I didn't study religion, I didn't read the books, so I don't know. No, you're right. And that, I mean, we all the power to the reform Muslims who want to cherry pick their religion and bring it into this uh, century. Good luck to them. They have a big job ahead of them. Um, but, but yeah, you're absolutely correct that the, the fundamentalists are the ones that are following the religion closest. Samah, I just want to give you a, a, an opportunity to make sure that um, your message to Anya was, was, you know, you you didn't have anything more to say to her before I, I move on to Trisha. Actually, I support whatever she said, and my I'm here just to 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 start something, which I we might call it the new normal, because you know uh, the 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 the. Uh, this politically correct uh, uh, Islamophobia, anti-racism, and all these words put us all as an elite who are uh, just fighting the government and the politicians. I'm thinking with you, how can we bring this information in a simple way to the people? Because at the end of the day, the suppression is from the government and also from our 
people who are our supportive. I'm also from, I'm from Syria, by the way, and now I'm a, a refugee in Germany. And I got married to a German uh, guy who is a real support, a real love of my life after being, after being divorced for 15 years. But the, 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 the question and the, 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 uh, the bullying which I got and I get up till now, it is not only from the Muslims, it is from everyone, even questioning, questioning why you are still wearing your hijab. I'm wearing it because this is how I know my face and I like it. And I'm wearing it because I want to support Yasmin who wants to have uh, uh, her hair. And I want to support someone who doesn't Maybe she doesn't want to, to take off her hijab or maybe she is not able. And because I want to give the message that this piece of shit on my head is not Islam. I just get to use to it. And frankly speaking, it is also to save some money and not to go to the hairdresser and <laughs> I have a friend who grew up Orthodox Jewish and she's the same thing. She's full on atheist, but she still wears like a yeah, she yeah, covers her hair. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Because she you just know, got used this to is it. How I, this is how yeah. I know my face, and this is how I want people and trust me, because I work in, in a camp in a museum. Uh, 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 which mirroring the camp. So the easiest way to reach people is to have this, uh, let's say, mm. symbol. So I'm I'm the grandmother or I'm the Uma of, of those people. So it is the only way. I, I like it. I like this character. Then I'm so honest with people. So... Makes sense. Um, Okay, so I don't want to talk about myself because uh, I'm, I'm so so uh, happy to 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 meet you because I thought I'm alone in my own box, and mm. when I when I read Yasmin's book, the, the uh, it touched my soul, and now I'm trying to find more because those books needs to be in Arabic. Yeah, it, my books in otherwise, Arabic. Otherwise. Otherwise, we are uh, uh, we are just talking to each other. So we yeah. need we need people to talk. We need people to fight, and we need people people to understand. Because when when you were talking about this uh, uh, moment of self awareness, um, we need it. Or I feel that everyone will have this moment of self-awareness and it is a need for everyone otherwise we will stay in the same circle Putin, Assad, Khamenei, blah 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 it's the beginning though and without it there would not be the next step don't you think yes yes we need really to talk more mm -hmm. more than what we had and um, you know, okay. but we will talk. We will talk more. I will give you. I will give you your space, and um, count on me. I will be with you wherever you go, and I will support you, and I will try to bring things 
in Arabic because mm -hmm. people that's so important. Yes, it is so important because you, you notice that in Israel, women are killed because of Islam. To, uh, uh, yesterday, a woman was killed by her father. Imagine the father is the killer because she wants a portion. I don't know the whole story, but it touches me. It made me feel like oh. you are helpless. Yeah, me too. I, I can't I can't bear it. And each time again, like I told you before, each time I follow through the thread in situations like that, I arrive at the same place. If you thought that you cannot kill a person, let alone your daughter, that nothing else is more important, nothing else, yeah. then you wouldn't do it. So how is it that they bring, and the truth is we do, but they brainwash people into such things that they kill. I remember Stan standing, Sam Harris standing on stage and crying, mm -hmm. talking about things like that. Yeah. And to your fear, Yasmin, that, that we are so fragile, our minds are so fragile. So the new normal, let's, you know, because uh, if we will keep talking that uh, lefties, righties, da, 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 it will, it will really kill us. Let's do something and call it the new normal. I don't know if it will work though, uh, Samar, I'm sorry for criticizing you, but I think the new normal is used so many times already in social discourse that it already carries okay. certain meanings. Okay, okay. So we should Let's, think, you know, because the language, you, language you know what, I, I feel sometimes that what we speak becomes the home which we live in. And whenever I attend, a, a, a meeting like what we have now, I feel that I'm, I'm going, or the, we are going just to repeat and repeat what happened in Russia, what happened in Syria, da, 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 da. then what? Yeah. No, I, I hear I, you. I, I hear what you're saying, sorry, Anya. Yeah. No, no, no go ahead. Off. No. I was just going to say, I, I hear what you're saying, Samah, but this is what we have conversation, discussion, discourse, argument, speaking mm -hmm. loud and clearly again and again, being like uh, Asra Namani said, being stubborn is a virtue in this space. Yeah. Yes. Going and going and look at Masi Alinejad just last night. She ended up, yes. she was on Bill Maher. For mm -hmm. eight years, this woman has been screaming about the women in Iran. Eight yeah. years. Can you imagine in that time, her mother went on TV and denounced her. Her brother was arrested. She had people in Brooklyn, New York with AK-47 sitting in front of her house, stalking her and her family, taking videos, planning on <coughs> kidnapping her, taking her back to Iran. All of this that she's been through. And finally, the dam is breaking. So yeah. even though it might feel like we're not really doing much when we're just talking, talking, sharing our stories, sharing our videos, it is helping. It is making a difference. We are getting it our voices out there. And I want to give one example. Yes, man, sorry, I didn't read your book yet, but I definitely will. But I, of course, but, but I did read Ayan's book, Infidel, when it came out. It has a shocking quality to it. Uh, but beyond that, it's so important and interesting and informative. 
and I gave it to uh, a friend of mine, an American, who, well, I'm American too, but she uh, did not the fresh immigrant as I am. And she is a very liberal persuasion um, from her childhood. I gave her this book, she read it, and she said, it shook my view of Islam. Mm. So the books that are well-written and authentic and truthful intellectually and emotionally, they make a difference. I believe in that. Okay, last but not least, Trisha. Um, so I wondered, um, my experience is I left the left and it was very, uh, it was so much part of my world. 20 years ago, I left it because of anti-Semitism and it affected me greatly personally. And so I wonder what your experience is when you had these awakening moments, um, the walls came crumbling down about your ideology and your view of the state. Where did that leave you personally? Do you have any others to turn to, to commiserate with, anybody who understood you? Were you on there, just out there on your own with these thoughts? No, uh, I had an incredible, and what a great question, thank you. Um, I had an incredible group of friends. We were all Jewish, we were all struggling with the same issues, and we read uh, prohibited books, and we had discussions uh, talking over each other and yelling at each other and whatnot. So I certainly had not just support group, but the peer group to process everything in every way. Um, so <clears throat> that's it, being alone is something that strikes me when I think about very visible act of taking a job off. Like in my case, dead eyes, thoughts to myself, don't reveal what you think, but no visible signification is less brave. Taking off a hijab and becoming an enemy of your family, of your friends, losing community, to me is such a severe punishment that when I see something like that, I feel like, oh my God, how will you survive something like that? So you raising this question made me for the first time reflect on the fact that I was lucky not to be alone ever. That's wonderful. I'm really glad that was your experience, Anya. Thank you. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book was because I felt so that's my friend here to pick yes we only have to go we know um norby. sorry norby's being bad um anya before we leave i just want to make sure that uh you've touched on everything that you wanted to say that i i'm not cutting you off no i think it was uh oh. except uh, yeah great conversation i really appreciate you guys listening to me the reason I reached out to Yasmin was um, in, the, in response to account of a story of a girl uh, who dropped a hijab and who was talking about the concept of other and needed support, was alone and isolated. And I said, I can provide support and I can be an example of the other, which is actually the same. 
And so if we, and I'm really satisfied that we had a chance to really think and, and talk about this fact that we are the same. There are no enemies other than those who want to subjugate us. We are not enemies of each other. We are human beings that are trying to defend our dignity because all our rights come down to dignity. That's beautiful. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you for having me. That was wonderful. Beautiful conclusion. Thank you everybody for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you again, Anya. Thank Bye. you everybody. What a treasure hour. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.